Well, as we're finishing up our welcome of uh, little Lydia, please grab your Bibles and turn to the last book. It's called Revelation. Easy to find, last book in the Bible. If you're a guest today, we've been looking at letters written to seven churches. And if we can put the map up, Jesus gave a letter. He dictated a letter to his good friend John, and he sent it to these different churches. There was a letter to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, all the way around to our last church today, the church of Laodicea. And what's helped us before we read the scripture is to remind ourselves of this ancient history because most of you may not know about these churches. Why would we want to know the history of a church? Because where we live, think about where you live. Where we live and where this church of Laodicea lived was like a sun always shining, always influencing and giving you tanned skin. Like we're very unaware when we're out working that the sun's influencing us. The culture of the Laodiceans really influenced them. You want to know what they were famous for? Three things. Finances, fashion, and pharmaceuticals. Actually pretty common to our area if you think about these three things. Finances. They were the wealthiest city in their region, the Wall Street. They were the banking community, the Charlotte, the New York. In fact, there was an earthquake in A.D. 60, and when the Roman emperor wanted to send money, they said, oh, we're fine. We got all kind of money. We don't need your money. The Roman historian Tacitus would write this. Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and wanted no help from us. Laodicea was into their finances. Did you also know they were into their fabrics? Take a look at these goats. They had these really cool goats that gave this soft, glossy, wonderful black clothing. The whole world wanted it. It was expensive. It felt good. It looked good. In fact, they had five agoras or malls. I mean, they had five Tanger outlets. Finances, fabrics, pharmaceuticals. Did you know that it was in Laodicea that they had not only a medical school, but a school of ophthalmology? I see a lot of you wearing glasses. Aren't you glad you can see better? They had an eye medicine that the whole world came to get because people that couldn't see well would be healed. Laodicea was known for their finances, their fabrics, their pharmaceuticals. But Laodicea's real claim to fame was what they lacked. They did not have water. They did not have water. In fact, the water that they piped in was lousy. Their most remarkable feature is that hot water would cool down by the time it got to their city, and cold water would warm up by the time they got to their city. Look, if I go to Starbucks, I either want a real hot Pike's Place or a real cold Frappuccino, I don't want like a tepid, tepid chino. Uh-uh. I don't want something that's going to be like, uh, hot or cold. You coffee, if, you, if you don't love coffee, you're not going to get any of that. But you don't want something that's not hot or cold at Starbucks. Did you know, show this picture of this ancient aqueduct. The only way Laodicea would get cold water was to go to Colossae and pipe it in. Colossae, oh, the mountain of Cadmus, alpine cold but you'd pipe it all the way to them and it'd get warm. Or there was this other place called Hierapolis. It had hot springs, jacuzzis with mineral water. 
But by the time that steaming hot water would go through the viaduct, the aqueduct, and arrive, it was at room temperature, and who wants that? In fact, that hot water was chemically charged and arrived concentrated, and the doctors would take that hot water that had become tepid and give it to you if they wanted to induce vomiting because it was so gross. Could these issues be our issues too? Fashion, finance, pharmaceuticals. I want to be healthy and look good. But could we lack something so essential as water? I want to ask Marissa to come up. Marissa is now going to read this letter that Jesus wrote to this city. And follow along, if you would, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14. And please stand out of honor for Jesus, who is risen, reigning, and speaking to us even now. And to the angel of the church of, in Laodicea write the words of Amen, the faithfulness and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he eat with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you all pray with me? Thank you, Marissa. Father, we thank you that Jesus, your only Son, would by the Spirit dictate this letter that was sent to these seven churches to read. And now we get to read it today. I pray that your spirit would descend not only on our students today, but on all of us and convict us and comfort us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. You know, when my kids were teenagers, they would put things on the doors of their room. And adults, you may not have a, a, a title on the door of your room, but sometimes people in your house know that you don't always want people to get in. Here's some titles. I think we found this on Dylan's door. He's up there doing, it says this, uh, keep out, gamer at play, battling enemies, defeating end bosses, smashing cars, mastering moves, blowing stuff up. Do not disturb. Leave food and drinks at the door. Enter at your own risk. Maybe one, of our, maybe one of the young ladies has a little girl cave. No boys allowed, except daddy. That's kind of a nice one. How about this one? I'm in here. You're out there. Let's keep it that way for a little while longer. Yeah, so, Kelly, is that, is that on his door? I sort of thought. And how about this one here? If this door is closed, then do not interrupt, unless you are bleeding, there is a fire, or if an owl shows up with my letter from Hogwarts. And lastly, I like this one, tips on how to enter my room properly, do not. We can laugh, but how many of us have on our door to Jesus 
I really don't want you very far in. If you're a guest today, the title of our message is simply, Let Me In. You can follow in the message notes. Here's the first thing Jesus says. He says to this church of Laodicea and to us today, Let me in because of who I am. Let me in because of who I am. Look at verse 14. Jesus is going to describe himself in three ways. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. You know, in all those other letters, those of you that have been following, Jesus will identify himself by what he has or what he does. For instance, in his letter to Pergamum, he describes himself by what he has, this sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. When you meet Jesus, those are his words. They will heal you, but they also will hurt you. They're powerful. In his letter to Ephesus, he doesn't describe what he has. He describes what he does. He says, I walk among the seven golden lampstands or churches. But in this letter to Laodicea, he becomes extremely intimate and vulnerable by declaring three aspects about who he is. Let's go through them. His essential core identity, he says, I am the Amen. Now, we simply would have a prayer like our elder John did. We just think that that word Amen is sort of the period at the end of our prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen. But in that culture, it was nothing of that sort. It wasn't a little thing you did at the end. For the Hebrews, they didn't have a written language primarily. It was oral. Which means when you were talking to somebody and you really wanted them to believe what you said, you would end it by saying, Amen. It meant, I'm going to say something, and I know words are cheap, but you've got to believe what I'm saying. It's my verbal signature. It'd be like one of us typically grabbing a mic, saying something, and dropping the mic. You know, it's kind of popular now. I'm going to rant, tell you what I really think, and drop the mic and walk away. He says, you want to know who I am, Laodicea? Before I talk to you, I am the Amen. In fact, what I say is so binding, you need to build on my words. My words are an utterly stable foundation on which to build your life. In fact, my words are the firm foundation under all foundations. It is no mistake that we gave Becca a Bible. I know most of you put that Bible on your shelf or you have it as an app and you rarely look at it. But Jesus and his word is the foundation under all foundations and it's so firm when God speaks, it's so valid that it will bind your conscience. He says, I'm going to say something, Laodicea, Metro North. I'm the Amen. I'm also the faithful and true witness. One of my favorite Christian philosophers is Soren Kierkegaard. He went to church at a time where everybody did church, but they yawned through most of the services because they just were sort of smug. They had learned the Bible when they were younger, and they were just like, eh, it doesn't matter for my life. But he found Jesus, and particularly the truth of Jesus, and he says, there's two ways you can be fooled. Number one, believe what is not true. Number two, refuse to believe what is true. Jesus says, I am the faithful and true witness. Jesus says, believe my words and my ways. When I speak, they perfectly conform 
to reality. And number three, my favorite, he says, I'm the beginning. I'm the beginning. Beginning is Jesus giving a direct challenge to the Roman emperor. Their favorite title was Princep, or the beginning. Or, I am a citizen like everybody else in Rome, but I'm the first citizen. Why would the Roman emperor be so cocky? Because the Roman emperor had more information about the world and more power over the world than anybody else. So he strutted around saying, I am the arche, the princeps. I am the beginning. If you're a student here today, do you have a, a phone? Hold it up if you do. How many of our students have one of these gadgets? How many adults have one of these gadgets? Can you hold it up for me? Listen, students, and listen, adults. This thing right here makes us think that we have more information about and more power over the world. And you know what? Those of us that are a little older that just kind of got these in our lifetime and we're not what would be called digital natives, this is pretty powerful. This is pretty informative. But what it will not give you and what the Roman emperor could not give his people was the alleviation of guilt, was wisdom on how to live, was an answer to death. Jesus says, let me tell you who I am. I am the beginning. Jesus challenges the information and the power by saying, look to me. And arche, that amazing Greek word for beginning, is not just the start of a sequence. Oh, we'll give you that, Jesus. No, he says, I'm the source and the summit of any sequence that ever occurs. Jesus is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things are created, the originator. Do you truly identify Jesus as the reference point in your life? The beginning, before you make any decision, before you make any plans, before you deal with any conflict, any pain, do you honestly start the sequence with Jesus as the amen, the accurate or true one, and the arche. Jesus says, let me in. Let me into your life. I'm going to have to challenge this vision that Laodicea has given you and your values. Number two, he says, let me in because I'm going to puke. I know for some of you it's like, did I just hear the preacher say that word? Yes. Yes, this is one of the most graphic things Jesus will ever say to Christians. Let me in because I'm going to puke. You've got to see it for yourself. Verse 15. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit, look it up in the Greek, hurl, puke, toss the cookies across the room. Mothers, you've seen this look, right? You're in your living room, you've just cleaned the house, and you look at your kid who's kind of got the bug, and they got that look in their eyes, they're going to puke. And you're like, you better get to the bathroom. Jesus is saying to the church, look in my eyes. I know something about you, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth when I consider your serious condition. Oh, Jesus, this is kind of crossing the line here. This is a little impolite. You want this letter read to all of the churches about Laodicea? Yes, because churches suffer from a spiritual condition called, I'm good, 
Raise your hand if you've been following Jesus for more than five years. Hey, this is not good. You remember when you became a Christian and the kingdom of God erupted in and you joined like that learning group. But now we have, we've got a, a learning group that we're having this summer led by John Sly. He Ten years of seminary. Tyler McSwain, he has a master's in Bible. And yours truly, it took me ten years. We will look at theology this summer. We will look at study the beauty and character of God. You want to know how many of you have signed up? Eight of you. You want to know why? Because most of you go, many years ago, I learned about my God, and I'm good. Some of you used to give to the kingdom. You would give to the kingdom. But it's been a while. Some of you used to hear there was a volunteer need with the children's ministry or with the student ministry or there was something going on. There's a church picnic and they need all hands on deck. But years ago you did that. And right now when you hear about it on Facebook or you see it in the bulletin, you go, I'm good. What does that do to Jesus? Jesus looks at you and he goes, I'm going to throw up. You make me sick. Jesus, that's impolite. No, it's not. You will meet someone who is impolite when they're rude to you and they have no regard for you. He is not impolite because he sees you, Christian, at the height of dignity and he will extend to you the dignity of expressing the depth of his disgust. When you say in your heart, I'm good. When you get up next Sunday and you go, I don't know if I'm going to church. I'll go in a couple of weeks. I'm good. You've got to see your Savior saying, are you kidding me? You're going to miss the baptism of a child? You're going to miss the Word of God and His good news? You're going to miss singing with the people of God? I'm good. Oh, Jesus, you're a little impolite. No, no, no. I know your works. I'm having a gut-level reaction about what I know. It's visceral. I want to vomit. Why? Because I'm the Amen. I am the accurate one. I am the arche and reference point. The foundation under every foundation. The source of every good sequence. And you treat me with mild approval. Oh, a little bit of a yawn. Oh, I think I just threw up a little in my mouth, Jesus says. Excuse me, where's your bathroom? Look, can I come in? Moms, you ever go up to your teenager's room and you knock on the door? Hey, food's ready. Hey, I'm good, Mom. I'm good. I'm good. I had a snack already. I'm good. Fathers knock on the door. Hey, listen, I need some help outside with the lawn. Dad, 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 you're, you're good. You're good. Oh, those Laodiceans. Metro North. Is this us? I know your city. I know the particular perils and pitfalls that have rubbed off on you. I know your finances. See, our finances, they play on our fear that we just don't have enough. Our fashion, they play on the fear that we just are not attractive enough. Those pharmaceuticals, they play on the fear that we're just not healthy enough. Jesus says this has flavored you. It has adjusted your spiritual temperature. I'd love it if you were really cold and delicious like cold water from those Colossian Mountain Alps. But you are tepid. Oh, your temperature disgusts me. Metro North Church, if he tasted us right now, 
What would we taste like in our Savior's mouth? The imagery of lukewarm water inducing imminent vomiting alludes to their water system. Remember, the reality of their real situation was that their own water source was non-existent. They had a deep and dangerous deficiency, like we all do Christians spiritually. The hot healing waters arrived and hurt the drinker. The cold refreshing waters arrived warm. Their need for aqueducts to deliver water, an essential necessity, revealed their inadequacy. But they did not see their spiritual inadequacy. In this spiritual self-sufficiency, this smugness made our Savior sick. Look at verse 17. For you say, I'm rich, I'm prospered, I need, say the word, wake up, wake up, I need nothing, I'm good, Jesus, but we've got a a get-together, we call it a small group, a focus group, where you you can be with other Christians, oh, I did that years ago, it was cool, but I'm good. It's causing nausea in our Savior. Are you affluent? Oh, no, I don't got a lot of money. Come on, compare yourself with the planet. We have more money than the rest of the planet. Jesus looks at us and says, American Christian, you are affluent. Are you affluent? Are you accomplished? Have you achieved much? I'm good. Independent, self-sufficient students. You're going to get your first job, and the first thing your boss is going to do is make you take a personality test. Adults, you ever have to take one of these with business? Why? Why do they make us take a personality test? Because businesses know that a person's strength can be their, say it out loud, weakness. Why? Why does the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs and the Strengths Finder reveal our weakness? Look, the strength leads you to place confidence in you. And no business in affluent America wants a strong person that doesn't know that their strength is their weakness. Oh, we're such strangers to ourselves spiritually. We sleepwalk through our life. We're self-deceived. Laodicea, Metro North Church, you say your strengths are finances, pharmaceuticals, fashion, I need nothing. But you know that your standard complaint is we don't even have water. And the water we get is lousy. Let me describe, Jesus says, your real condition if you'll hear me. He gives it fivefold. It's powerful. It's painful. But in the Greek, it's tender. I wish you could read Greek. The end of each word ends in a way that when he said these words, they were so soft. Listen to them. You're wretched. Wretched. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch, pitiable, poor. You don't even have any resources to change your condition. Blind. You need spiritual sight to see what's really going on. Naked. You need garments of grace to wrap you. You need to be covered in Christ. Number three. Jesus says, let me in. This is what our Savior is saying to Christians. Let me in. Because of the warm words of love... I want to freely share with you. I used to think this story, this letter was so mean to these Laodiceans until I read it. 
Look at verse 19. In fact, read it with me. Those whom I love, read it with me. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. The same people that make him sick, he loves. You know, it's not a typical word for love. It's the word phileo love. This is the love you'll only have with warm affection with a friend. A real friend. Real friends you can speak your mind to. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He loves them. Phileo is the ardent affection towards a real friend. Love that feels a warm desire to be with the beloved. And he will express his love in reproof. We don't typically like this. We don't like reproof. What's that? That's when actually somebody gives you an unfavorable judgment. A chewing out, a talking to students. You can't stand it when mom gives you the lecture. I know. Reproof, by the way, in a relationship of love is a design feature. It is not a bug. Some of you leave. I know you leave some Sundays thinking, Howard's a jerk. Because I will reprove if the Word of God challenges me to reprove. I never enjoy it. I love to warm myself at the fires of your approval. But when I speak the Word of God, I must love you as your friend and reprove. It's a sign of a healthy relationship. But reproof is not rejecting you. It is rejecting all that is wrong with you. Students, again, the best athletes, the best scholars, the best doctors, the best pastors receive the most demanding training. Your mother and father and even grandparents will reprove you to improve you because they love you. Students, again, mom is simply trying to raise your consciousness to what's wrong about you. She's not rejecting you. And parents, let me give you a challenge. Use reproof more like medicine than food. Medicine should be used rarely on what's really wrong, whereas affirmation, like food, should be fed frequently. Said in a different way, criticism makes really good medicine, but it is terrible food. And by the way, most of my sermons to you are not reproof. I know you will often leave going with a bad taste in your mouth. Jesus loves them. And I love you as your pastor. You need to know that. Wake up. Wake up. I want you to beware by helping you to become fully aware. And he helps us with this wake-up call. He says, be zealous. There is no more boiling over crazy word in the Greek language. Be zealous. Zeal is cold water, by the way, heated beyond the boiling point and boiling over. I said this in the first service, and I'll say it again. John helps our ministries, our crews of people who get together to do ministry. Can you imagine John saying, Howard, I'm having a problem. What's going on, John? I'm here to support you. Well, people that run ministries are getting so many emails, text messages, and phone calls from our zealous people. We have to turn people away. Can you imagine if our pastor of ministries... Oh, I've been here five years. I have never heard of a ministry leader saying, I've got to turn people away 
It's because so many of us say, I helped out a couple of years with that thing, and I'm good. Be zealous, is what our Savior says to us after his reproof of love. Zeal is solid, cold steel, heated up and glowing. We should get close to you. Someone in ministry here should get close to you. One of our deacons should get close to you and say to themselves, how are we going to pay for for renovating this building and putting up a new sanctuary in our our, our operational budget? Our deacons should walk up to any of you and get so close and go, Woo, you are glowing hot. You're throwing money towards the kingdom. But deacons, don't you often praying, oh God, please help us to pay the bills. <laughs> Be zealous. Not neutral. How many of you are neutral or in first gear, fifth gear? I am the amen. I am the accurate one. I am the beginning. I have died for your sin. I am alive, and it's my church that must advance my kingdom. Be zealous. Oh, Jesus. And then he says, repent. Jesus loves to say that. But you know, I'm sick and tired, and students, I address you again, I'm sick and tired of all of us that go, I better just repent of being bad. Look, everybody knows we should stop being bad. You want to know what he's really saying? Repent and change your mind about the good things in your life that you derive your real life from. That's the stuff you need to stop putting all your attention to. Your fashion, your finances, your self-salvation through all the ways you're bringing health. You have to change your mind. And he's going to focus them on three facts about their city to illumine his counsel. Look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy gold, to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes. Finances. How many of us, and students, again, you're going to get tempted to get the job for the money. He says, you forged in the fire these finances, but it was from your own energy. No, no, you've got to come and buy from me gold refined in fire. Why? The greatest need I think most of us are always wanting is the removal of our guilt and the removal of the fear of death and the shame that our guilt gives us. Jesus says, here's my counsel. Those of you that think that you're rich, buy from me purity. Buy from me the removal of your guilt, the removal of your shame. I can cover your wrong condition. He says, not just the finances, buy from me some fashion, like some real fashion. My wife has been watching this show, What Not to Wear. I mean, it ran 10 years. He says, you've got to come to me and you've got to buy from me clothing to cover you. When I was 17 years old, there was a tragic accident. Some of you will remember this. Here's a picture of Cecilia Crocker. When I was 17 years old, Cecilia was a four-year-old. She took off on a Northwest Airlines flight that took off and it crashed in Detroit, Michigan, killing all 157 people except her. She broke her silence recently about the event 
Everybody always wanted to know, how did you survive? All the evidence points to her mother covering her, surrounding her, insulating her with the life of her mother, the sacrificed life of another. She was found covered in her mother's blood. Yeah, these great black goats make you look good with that soft fabric, but come to me and it's white. Purity. Covered with the pure whiteness that I can give to cover your shame and sinful condition in pharmaceuticals, I want to give you real spiritual sight about your condition. Buy it from me. Wait a second, Jesus. Buy it from you. How does grace factor into that? How do I buy when you just said I am poor and I have nothing? You buy with the currency of God's free grace. Here's what it says in Isaiah 55. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I'll make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love. Students again. What's the difference between these two scenarios? Grandma gives you an iPhone 10 for free. Mom says you can have an iPhone 10 if you'll just contribute $5. Not big, not big of a difference. You'd probably go either way, but you need to know this about Christianity. The first one is a priceless, wonderful gift. An iPhone 10, it's like, what, a grand, right? That's a lot of money. If you get it for five bucks, though, and you pay the five bucks, here's the difference. The first one was free. The second one was a bargain that you contributed to. Christianity is not a bargain that you contribute to. Christianity is absolutely free. It's not something you can take credit for. In fact, the only cost is the loss of your sin and self-righteous smugness as you approach your relationship with Jesus. He gives you this counsel. He wants in. He wants further in. So he gives these face-to-face -face intimate words. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in to him and eat with him and he with me. One of my favorite pictures of this standing at the door is the famous Holman Hunt picture. Take a look at this on Google. Here you have no doorknob. You got weeds. Jesus is sitting there saying, I'd like to have some intimacy, share a meal. And you need to know this. Many people think, oh, that story about I should tell my unbelieving neighbor that Jesus is standing at the door of their heart. They should ask Jesus into their heart. This is not a letter written to an unbeliever. This is a letter written to Christians who are inside of their little world, and Jesus is on the outside. Now, I know if you're a Christian, you've let him in. In fact, he never would have come in if he didn't give you life. 
But I wonder how many doors in your heart do you have shut to him? And there are weeds, and the doorknob is on the inside. Oh, he says, let me in. I want to come in. You have it closed on your side. I would rather take food in sitting with you than vomit food out without your friendship. Let me name some doors that I think all of us sit in and own it if it fits you. If these bullets fit your gun, then load it up. How many of you have the door of your relational hurts shut to Jesus? John said this to me a couple of times. He's like, Howard, I've looked at over 20 years of Metro North Church, and there are just certain people that when they end up getting into a conflict, they peace out. But doesn't Jesus say, let's press in? I got into a little bit of a fight this week with somebody in the church, and I was talking to my wife about it because we had to make up as Christians. And my wife was like, I'll bet you trust that person more than you've ever trusted him before. And I said, it's true. How many of you have the door, and Jesus is saying, I'd like to come in and help you work through that conflict. Peace out, Jesus. I'm good. There's no, you don't understand, Jesus, but this isn't going to get healed. You do not need to come in here. I'm going to go find a different church, or I'm going to go ahead and find a different family, or I'm just going to go ahead and find a different job. Peace out. I'd like to come in and talk about that. I think we need to press in. In my kingdom, it's very different. We face our pain together. Peace out, Jesus. Some of you will not open your door of deep disappointment with Him. Some of you won't open your door of the trouble-free life. Some of you won't open the door of having to live with an addict, someone who insists that life must be pain-free. Someone won't open the door of your finances. You just don't see yourself as wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Some of you don't open the door of fear and worry or the door of your sexuality or the door of your entertainment or the door of your dreams. Look at verse 21. If we will open that door. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is amazing. Jesus is saying, I love you. I became naked and shamed so that those who trust in me will be covered with the warm garments of grace. I am the living Jesus. I am the amen. I am the accurate one. I am the arche. I am the beginning of every sequence. I will grant for free to those and only those who need it that you can sit with me. Look at these two men. Who wouldn't want to sit as a co-owner with either of these men? I don't know how you feel about Zuckerberg and I don't know how you feel about um, sitting with Bill Gates, but if they said, I want you free of charge to sit with me and be a co-owner in my kingdom, Jesus is so much more than these two men. And he's saying, I will grant to you. But we're not opening the door. Let me in. Think again of these teenager doors. and We're not teasing you. We all have signs. Yeah, this will probably be on our door. Oh, no, not you again. But what if... What if we put this door on our heart for Jesus? Come on in. Come on in. John, bring us to the table, if you would, and elders, come on forward in the worship team. Let me pray. Father, this has been such a special service. Our youth have helped us to...
sing of you. Lord, your Son now gathers us at table. I pray, Lord, that you would feed our faith even now. We are wretched, we are poor, we are pitiable, we are blind, we are naked, and we will starve without you. We are not good. But because of your Son, we are good forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.